0: are listening to The Historical Bookworm Show. For lovers of history and readers of inspirational
1: fiction, join your hosts, Kylie and Darcy, for author interviews, a pinch of the past, and special bookworm reviews.
2: Hi, this is Kylie Woodley and Darcy Fournier. Our guest today is an author, speaker, and radio host with an obsession with the Lord, Star Trek, K-dramas, anime, romance books, old movies, speculative fiction, and knitting, an on-and-off Mountain Dew and marshmallow addict. She writes to fill the void, the sugar left behind. Parker Day Cole, welcome to the Historical Bookworm Show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Yeah, well, and I just ran across your podcast, The Right Stuff, when I was researching podcasts for the Christian Fiction Podcast community. And I thought, we've got to have this lady on the show. You have so much incredible content out there. Um, just, y'all, you would not believe how many books this woman has out. <laughs> She's a radio host, podcaster, author of historical fiction, which we all know that is the best genre.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So, Parker, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Just introduce yourself to our readers.
1: So basically, when you read my bio, that pretty much does take care of who I am because I do have a lot of eclectic taste. I don't have one thing. So whatever you do, don't ever try to put me in a box. I will not fit. And because I have such eclectic taste, over the years, I've been able to garner relationships with people from all over the world through my podcast and through reading Because when you talk to people and when you read their works, you really get an idea of knowing what these people are about. And so my tastes stem from my desire to learn new things all the time. So that's a little bit about me as a writer, as a podcaster. But if you want to know the other things about me, I do live in Michigan. I have a wonderful baby girl. Her name is Princess and she has four legs and big brown eyes that are just adorable, and she always gets her way, and I know I spoil her, and there's nothing I can do about that. <laughs> I also live with my husband, and we live in Michigan. No kids. We've married for now 15 years. I work at church. I do podcasting, writing, and whatever else is needed, so that's me in a nutshell.
0: That is so cool. I love that you say you love Star Trek because I have a thing for that. So I was like, oh, what fun. But also, you're right. I mean, having a taste for speculative fiction feels very different from historical romance. But hey, it's fun to explore different things. Like you say, you meet so many cool people doing that. So what drew you to historical fiction?
1: I was drawn to it when the opportunity to write for a map, which is a multiple author project, came about. A friend of mine named Pastor George McVeigh wanted to put together a map about a group of women whose town is devastated by natural disasters. And all the men in town are killed from these natural disasters. Most of them were miners and the other half were mostly loggers. And so now the town has been devastated by these earthquakes that caused the mudslide and killed most of the men in town. So now they have to go and find a husband because this is back in the eighteen hundreds and they have to advertise for a husband. So they all search for men. And so it's a play on the male order bride trope as opposed to it being a male order bride. It's a male order groom. So that's how I first got a chance to get into historical fiction and historical romance. And from there, my love for the genre has increased because now I have an insatiable desire to write historical romance and historical fiction in whatever capacity I can. I find that history often tells the best stories and you get to see the pattern of how people are. People have been doing the same things for thousands of years. It's just new people are knowing about them now. And they always say you learn from history. And so that's why I love historical romance and historical fiction.
0: Oh, yes. I love that too. You're right. People, we think that we're so new or we're so different and we're so enlightened. But when you start to look back on history, you realize that people really do basically repeat similar patterns. They're just people are people no matter where they are or when they are. Exactly.
1: I was thinking about the pandemic and people were freaking out because they said this has never happened before. And then you go back, well, it did happen 100 years ago with the Spanish flu. Now we can talk about the various political structures and all of that some other time with another guest because I am not going there. However, it's the fact that you think it's new and it isn't new. And I find that, at the same time, comforting and crazy. Because it makes you wonder, how does God continue to deal with people who keep doing the same thing? Isn't that a sign of insanity? That's what we always say. A sign of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. The difference is that... He's not doing the same thing over and over. He's making changes in our lives to prevent us from being insane. So, yeah, that's how I look at it. So I hope that makes sense, ladies.
0: I like that, how he's not doing the same thing. He's changing us. So, yeah, I like it.
2: So Parker, you must be balancing so much with creating audio content, marketing demands and writing. Can you give us some tips on how to do this?
1: Well, I wasn't always successful at balancing and I'm not quite sure I still am. But when I first started my podcast, I broadcasted live every week for nine and a half years. So I will come home from work. I will start my broadcast, do my podcast. I did it live. I took questions, answer phone calls, things of that nature. Then last year I did not realize I was burning out. I had no clue until I went into the hospital. And I realized then that at my peak of podcasting, I was doing 10 to 13 shows in a month. And that's absolutely insane when I look back on it. But I had no idea because you just keep moving. You just keep moving. So my suggestion is get help. So this year I got some people to help me. I have an assistant now and I have some editors now that help me. That way you don't have to go crazy and you can juggle. The other thing is be open to changing how you do things. If you've been doing things one way all the time, but you find that it's not sustainable, be open to changing that. You don't always have to do the same thing. It's okay to change. It's okay if you have to take a step back and do self-care. That is so important Particularly nowadays when people are so stressful, you have to do self care. A friend of mine has a saying that I absolutely love, particularly when it comes to, let's say, you don't meet your goal for something. Depending on what it is, you have to say, okay, helicopters aren't falling from the sky, the world didn't blow up there's no tsunami coming on the scene right now because you didn't finish that particular goal. You have another day to do it. So you really have to do self-care. And in all things, you want to seek the Lord because you may be doing something and he's trying to hold you back because he wants you to do some do something else. So you definitely want to make sure that if you're going to juggle many projects like I juggle, make sure you give yourself self-care, make sure you get help, make sure you give yourself a break and make sure that you go to the Lord in prayer.
0: That is wise. It, Like you say, it's just so easy to fall into a rut and just be doing the same thing and not realizing what's going on.
2: Yeah. And I think sometimes as creatives, we tend to get a little <laughs> obsessive with the pro- the many projects we have. And before we know it, they've just grown and grown and yeah, we definitely need to have a balance in everything. So that's excellent advice. And I think it kind of is a good segue into our next question, which is, is there anything especially interesting you haven't covered in other interviews that you could share with us? Or perhaps there's something God has laid on your heart that you would like to share with your readers? It's
1: interesting that you asked that as I was reviewing the questions before we started today, I was really thinking, what have I not talked about in my interviews that I could share with people here? And what about my readers? I think it's the fact that it is a wonderful opportunity to create. And Christian creatives really understand that Maybe not every book, every song, every painting or whatever it is you're creating that has to have a message. But the fact that we have the talent to do that, I think that's incredible. And if you know Alan Arnold, who really speaks and inspires Christian creatives, he said co-creation with God is such an honor that we don't have to create without him. We can create with him. And so that's one thing that I've I've talked about before, but it's not talked about as much. As for my readers, I don't like to put myself in a box. And so I've recently branched off into general market historical romance. What does that mean? I'm just writing general market historical romance. That's all it means. <laughs> okay. And so it may be a little different from what people are used to, but I find myself really invigorated and I feel blessed that I'm in this niche of publishing to talk about history that people may not have heard before. And it's an honor to be able to do that and to have readers who are interested in that. So I tell our readers there's going to be more from me and to our writers out there, make sure you go ahead and create and be thankful for that gift of creativity.
0: I think it's, I don't know, I guess for me, it can be easy sometimes to think about this gift that God is given me to use and to think that, yeah, it's something I have to do by myself, but it's not. It's something he wants to and will do with us. And honestly, if it's going to do any good, it's going to be with him, right?
1: It's interesting you say that you have to, that you may feel as if you have to do it by yourself. And there are authors in the Christian world and out of the Christian world who talk about how alone they feel that's because oftentimes these authors may be in a community that does not encourage that type of creativity and so with the online community you can be with authors who think like you do you can be with authors who understand when you say hey how does this sound and you read a passage from your whip and you don't have to be alone that's one thing about writing in the modern world. You're not alone, particularly in the romance community, good, bad or indifferent. The romance community is so vocal about what goes on in the industry. You heard about what happened with Romance Writers of America. I was all over it when it was blowing up into smitherings during 2020 and 2021. It was just blowing up. It was just the messiest Thing had had happened, but it's open. People were aware of that. It's not this little small person now with a typewriter. There's a community of authors. And for any author who may be struggling with that creativity, you have to get with other creatives. When you get with other creatives, can you imagine just that? massive burst of energy that comes from creation because you're talking about your characters you're talking about your setting you may say, hey Kylie what if I were to have a ghost who's not really a ghost but they're actually an alien from another planet that doesn't sound crazy to you that actually makes a lot of sense but if you were to go outside of your writer circle you say that, they go, what is wrong with <laughs> you
2: you're <laughs> <having> a <laughs> yeah. okay yeah Normal people they're like those writers. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun when we get together because there are things that you could just put out there in conversation. Like oh the other day my character did such and such and like a normal per- or someone who's not a writer would be like, "Okay, that's nice, honey." <laughs> and a writer's like, "You're kidding." Like, "Oh my gosh, did you
1: do that too?" Like one time <laughs> I wrote a I wrote a fast draft story. It's not going to see the light of day just yet, but it's about bugs and blobs. And I wrote it. It was the craziest fast draft writing experience I ever had because I was just writing on the flow. I didn't really want anything I had been writing previously. I didn't want to do romance at the time. So I wrote about bugs and blobs. And as I was writing, my main antagonist was the queen of the praying mantis on this distant world. And I saw her face in my head. I saw her and she's looking evil at me, right? And i to on the phone with a girlfriend of mine. I say, hey girl, what do you think I should call my praying mantis queen? <laughs> and she's like, what do you want to call her? <laughs> she's she's kind of used to that. What do you want to call her? I said, I don't know. What's a good praying mantis language? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> but when I went to a writer friend of mine, he was right on board. He actually gave me some more details because he writes sci-fi and so <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So for writers out there who you feel alone or Christian writers who may write a different message than what's mainstream Christian publishing wants, so they may write a little bit edgier, a little bit darker, you have to get into a community that understands you. I think that's why podcasts like yours and like mine's, we give you that platform to talk about it. And I hate to say the term because a safe place is usually used in a really social context. And we really do give you a safe place to discuss your idea without you feeling as if you're the freak in the show because you are the freak in a show but guess what so are we (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're freaks together
0: exactly I do love the writing community I mean when you find your people it's just it's awesome thank you so much for sharing that though I, I think that'll be an encouragement to some of our authors listening but let's go ahead and dive into talking about your latest release, A Chance for Genevieve, which is actually book nine in the Last Chance Bride series. And I'll go ahead and read the back cover. A nun on the run, an engineer with a dream. When secrets are revealed, will friendship develop into forbidden love? Genevieve Bailey is hiding in Last Chance. She sees the drought-ridden town as an opportunity to live her truth or hide away from the world and keep her secrets safe meeting a handsome engineer stirs up forbidden longing and the more she gets to know him the more their association threatens to unravel the threads binding her broken heart and expose the secret that could destroy her faith ambrose young's dreams are within his grasp after helping a small town restore its water supply he can now work on building his own cattle empire what he doesn't expect is a virtuous woman that makes him question his own calling What starts out as a friendship blooms into forbidden feelings more, but can he forget the beautiful woman's supreme vow?
2: Okay, I love what I'm seeing in this book. A nun on the run, an architect who questions his calling all because of a woman. And this is book, is it nine in the series?
1: Yes, it's book nine in the series. It's part of a multiple author project.
2: Wow. I really enjoy like the multiple author projects with similar where there's a theme connecting them or a world. So can you tell us a little about the series as a whole and what commonalities the books share?
1: Well, the series is a spinoff of the very popular mail order groom series called The Blizzard Brides that ended roughly last year. And in that series, you may see some similarities because in this series, it's based off the blizzards in eighteen. 18- 70s and 1880s where a blizzard comes and kills most of the men in town but the town was already experiencing drought issues and so they went on a hunt the blizzards came and killed most of the men and then the pastor of this town his name is Pastor Collins he is the one who is forcing all the widows to get married again to save their souls and he is a pompous so and so in all of our books he's featured in such a horrible way and then the creator of of the series. Her name is Christine Sterling. She had to write his redemption story. And I said, good luck because he is a jerk throughout every one of these 30 books. Okay. So Last Chance is a spinoff of The Blizzard Brides. It is 15 years later and it's based again on true things. But in this case, a drought had attacked the area and people were losing their farms They were just walking away from them. The financial arena was horrible. Banks have shut down. So all these horrible things are happening. So in this town that has already experienced the blizzards from 15 years ago, they're barely hanging on. Some of the characters from the blizzard brides actually left because there's nowhere to go now. So now we have, we need water. We need to get water. And so the first book of the series kind of jump starts the rest of it. And they get a water drill to come in and find water. And water trying to find water love blossoms and blooms as different people come into town. Because what some people see as a bad opportunity, some people see as a gold mine. Or as in to say another way, some people will catch a falling knife. So that's what this book, is, these series is about.
0: That's really cool that it's set in the same town only 15 years later. That kind of builds so people may have enjoyed the first series. You know, it's like, oh, they can go revisit
1: Yeah, the kids are grown, too, from the people, the couples from the Blizzard Brides. So you get a chance to see the family aspect, too. Readers have said they love stories that continue the saga. So instead of it just ending happily ever after, and that can happen. What about their kids? What happened to their kids? What are they doing in 15 years from now? I think of Janet Oakey, who is probably the grandmother of Christian fiction from back in the 80s. And her characters, Clark and Marnie, I mean, Clark and Marnie they're like 90 years old now, right? In the real world, in, in the fictional world. And she said, readers are like, please don't kill Clark and Marnie. And she's like, but they're old. I mean, like, the Clark has doesn't have a leg anymore. Like one of his legs is gone. He's like, there's no wooden legs in heaven. You know, so she kind of put that scene in there. Like they really want to die so they can go to heaven. <laughs> so yeah, but readers love that, that inner universe thing.
0: Absolutely. You fall in love with these characters. At least I do. And I'm like, I want to see their life. I want to see how they raise kids and just keep the story going. Now, in a recent episode on your podcast, The Right Stuff, you and Tisha Messing chatted about fairy tale retellings and why we love them. So, what tropes or genre exclusive themes did you use in A Chance for Genevieve?
1: So, In that particular show, and thank you so much for mentioning it, we were talking about fairy tales and why they are so popular and why they don't die. And one of the reasons why is because it reflects real life. So in A Chance for Genevieve, we kind of have an ugly duckling sort of situation mixed with a forbidden love trope because she's a nun. And then she doesn't have confidence in herself. One thing I wanted to do with A Chance for Genevieve, I didn't want to explore a quote unquote, strong female character. And why do I say that? When we say strong female character, are we talking about women who act like men, or are we talking about women who are okay with their own vulnerabilities? And so in this story, she is running away from herself because she has what I called sensitivities and she's of a sensitive nature, so she cries really easily. If she's startled, she cries. She's very happy, but she's very sensitive. And she has always been mocked for the sensitivity. We would probably call it nowadays anxiety disorder. People who have anxieties. But they wouldn't have had that term back in the eighteen nineties or it would have just been a thing they would have do. So I wanted to explore a woman who's not strong and have it all together. She's dependent on the male hero for that stability, but not in a doormat way as much as he accepts me for who I am, which I think is important too. So I didn't want the strong female character popping out a rifle and shooting people and then riding off into the sunset. I wanted her to be dependent on the male hero because I think in our effort to create strong female characters, we forget that we, it's okay to be vulnerable and to show strength and vulnerability.
2: I really love that you are putting this character out there because I personally, as a 34-year-old mother and wife I feel pressured to be this strong woman, not in the sense that I've raised three children and I have two degrees and have a full-time job and a podcast and not in the sense of, of my true accomplishments, but because I'm not um, particularly outspoken or necessarily have sort of a dominant personality, I am very feminine and I like to laugh and I like puppies. And so I just love that you are highlighting the partnership between Genevieve and the hero in a way that shows how they complement one another without making her, you know, like an MMA fighter. <laughs> so that's wonderful. <laughs> you
1: said MMA fighter. <laughs> I don't know how to throw tomatoes much less of punch. <laughs> so, I can't do that. I always envy women who can God love them. But I think about Muhammad Ali's daughter and she's a boxer. Yeah, right. I am not about to get in the face for a living. No, gosh, no. But I admire her that she can. I really do.
2: No, I do. I'm so blessed. I have three sisters and they are what would definitely be considered strong women. And Definitely. I mean, God just makes us all so different and wonderful. And I appreciate that.
0: Everybody is different. There are so many different kinds of people. So honestly, yeah, it's nice to see, you know, different personalities represented in books. I think when you find someone to identify with in a story, it can really bring the themes home in a way that's meaningful and impactful to you.
2: Yeah. And maybe also appreciate the way that someone else is. I have a cousin and she just cries at the drop of a hat when something pretty when she sees a cute movie when there's a baby in the room and it might be easy to judge her or laugh at her but like how wonderful that she feels something in a way that you can visually see that her heart has been touched
1: I think you hit it on the nail though right there Kylie is the fact that having that openness is not a weakness being open And having that sensitivity actually helps other people to be aware of what's going on. And one lady, when I was expressing this to another author, her name is Heidi McGill, I was expressing this. I said, I want to describe her. She said, you describe my friend because she's like that. She'll cry at the drop of a hat. If you're crying, she's crying. She said, but she's Mm -hmm. the type that goes to the Lord in prayer right away. She instantly starts to pray instantly gets into the spirit and I said okay that helped me out a lot and I have to give Heidi McGill a shout out because for sure she helped me with this story I probably could not have gotten as far as I did without talking to her so I have to definitely give her a shout out too
0: that's awesome back to our writer communities right we can't we can't write without them Proverbs 31, 10 through 12 says, Who can find a virtuous woman, for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now, you use the term virtuous woman to describe Genevieve in the blurb. So, I'm thinking you must have been drawing from the scripture in Proverbs a little bit with her character?
1: Well, actually, that has to do with her being Catholic. And being a nun tends to have that imagery of purity, chastity, virtuous. And that's what he sees when he first sees her. So that's the forbidden aspect because he knows she's devoted to God being Catholic. Now here's the thing. I'm not Catholic. So I had to do a lot of research about Catholicism to kind of get the idea, but it's not heavy in the book at all. But, She's virtuous. That's what she appears to be virtuous to him. But then he starts to get to know her, and my question that I want to ask the reader: What do you think virtuous is? Is it a physical state or is it a spiritual state? See, and so that's what I leave the reader to determine as they go through their story between Genevieve and Ambrose. And that's all I'll say because I'll give away too much if I say more.
0: I like it. I like it. You know, how we might first think of virtuous, like you say, yeah, the the chastity, the utter devotion to God. But what is it really? Is it all these outward symbols? Or is it something else? You kind of dive in deep there. I like it. I like it.
2: Yeah, and that the question remains unanswered directly throughout the book. The reader can decide for themselves. That's cool. So do you have any writerly news? What's next for Parker J. Cole? Well,
1: I do try to put out a book a month or so. So I do have another book coming out. But I think I'm taking a two month break because I have to work on another book that's due in September. And it's part of an anthology called Christmas Wishes and Cowboy Kisses. If you guys don't mind me mentioning it here, and it's available for 99 cents on Amazon and at other book retailers. So if you want to get 23 sweet romantic stories of cowboys and Christmas wishes and kisses and mistletoe, it's all sweet, clean, and wholesome. You can definitely get Christmas wishes and cowboy kisses on amazon.com so that's the book I'm working on now but I do have a couple other projects in the queue I stay busy and then as I said earlier I am branching out into general historical fiction so I got a contract with Harlequin and so that should be coming out too so yeah lots of good stuff going on
0: that sounds really cool you've actually got a, a lot on your plate there a little bit for everybody I love it
2: Now, listeners, Parker has been so kind. She is providing a copy of A Chance for Genevieve. And all you have to do to enter to win is either check the show notes here or just go to our website, historicalbookworm.com, and look at the giveaways page. And Parker, how can our listeners connect with you?
1: All my social media is on my website at parkerjco.com. You can connect with me there.
2: And now, a message from American Christian Fiction Writers Public Relations Liaison, Cynthia Rukti. Created with Christian Fiction Reader fans in mind, the 2022 ACFW Story Fest. Come be part of our inaugural year of hosting ACFW StoryFest, formerly the Christian Fiction Readers Retreat. It takes place Thursday, September 8, 2022, in the afternoon through Saturday, September 10th at the Hyatt Regency at the Arch in St. Louis, Missouri. Come celebrate story and your favorite Christian fiction authors right on the premises of the ACFW conference, where hundreds of Christian fiction authors gather each year. You can learn more about StoryFest at www.acfwstoryfest.com. Hope to see you there! Now for a Pinch of the Past. On today's Pinch of the Past, we're looking at part two of our Sears and Robox special, Household Items. Now, if you're not familiar with Sears and Roebuck, the company is a retail giant from the 19th century with roots in mail order business operations in rural America, and they provided just so many different kinds of supplies to people who lived in places where their mercantiles and groceries were probably pretty small. (laughs) So you've seen the old hurricane lamps. Well, they weren't run on nothing. Kerosene oils were in high demand back then. Sears and Roebuck sold them as well. Now the ad reads that we do not sell less than a barrel of kerosene oil. No charge for the barrels. They contain about... 52 gallons.
0: That's a lot of kerosene, but when you think of that being the only light source for a winter or something, you would need a lot of kerosene.
2: Yeah, and different kinds of fuels that families needed just to to run and have light and warmth and different things. So they also sold what's called family oil tanks with a capacity of 60 gallons. They had pumps included with them, and they were made of galvanized metal, and they held things like gasoline and kerosene.
0: Fascinating. With their own pumps. That's very interesting.
2: Oils like lard, cylinder oil, engine oil, machine oil, linseed, java, and Baltic oil's Turpentine and many others were sold in containers ranging from 1 to 52 gallons.
0: Wow, so you could either order for your personal use or practically order wholesale.
2: Yeah. I wonder how many stores and little mom and pop shops just ordered from Sears and Resold. I know. They
0: might even order a big thing and then break it down themselves and resell it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So as for paints, there were liquid floor paints, which were improved for the 1897 new colors. They were made from the best pigment, but latest and most improved machinery. They also offered roof, fence, and barn paints, which came in colors like dark drab, yellow, terracotta, leather, lead, maroon, and oxide red.
0: Fascinating. Some of those are pretty bright. The oxide red, that will be your traditional red barn. But a lot of those are actually muted, blended to landscape almost kind of colors.
2: Yeah, yeah. They had a whole section for lead paints as well.
0: (laughs) For painting lead or?
2: No, paints were made of lead. They had lead in them there.
0: Some specifically that were made of lead and then some that weren't.
2: Yeah.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: They also ordered toilet paper. They claim that we sell only in original cases and will not break cases under any circumstances. A year's supply of toilet paper costs you but little in our economic factories. We would suggest that you club your order with neighbors and make up for freight shipping for several hundred pounds.
0: Oh, so basically an entire neighborhood or town, you can just put in their order together. And that's ironic since actually my grandfather talked about how the Sears and Robot catalog made good toilet paper after you were done with that edition. So it's <laughs> I didn't actually know that they sold it.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. So some of the brands were Little Jewel, which they claimed was a very special medium-sized perforated roll, fair grade paper. And you had 100 rolls per Case. They also had Era, Climax, Envoy, and Winner, which was the biggest roll of the toilet papers. And it had, they claimed that it had about 1,000 sheets perforated special grade, which they sold at half the price. Other papers included Cloverleaf, Crescent, Diana, and The Puritan, which they claimed was guaranteed free of injurious chemicals and came in very dark packages. Wow. So,
0: we're talking about organic toilet paper all the way back then.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Wow.
2: <laughs> so, could you just imagine, though, having like huge crates shipped in with all the neighbor's toilet papers? And they sold all kinds of things. It's so interesting. They sold like ladies' napkins and just all kinds of different household things that you wouldn't even really think of that you probably put under your arm when you go into the store now and go to the checkout, but they sold them. And if you were ordering with your neighbors, everybody knew about it. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that wraps up this short little pinch of the past on household items from Sears and Roebuck catalog. Time for our bookworm review. Hope Between the Pages by Pepper D. Basham Clara Blackwell can't lose her family's 100-year-old bookshop, but with the deed missing, there's a chance that her father's legacy could fall into the hands of her greedy uncle. In an attempt to locate the missing deed, Clara uncovers an unusual love note which leads to the discovery of a long-lost romance. Forced to step outside her predictable bookish world, Clara embarks on an adventure with only the name Oliver as a hint of the man's identity in her great-grandmother's unknown history. From the beautiful North Carolina Vanderbilt estate to a hamlet in the Lake District, England, can Clara put the pieces of an ill-fated romance together in order to save her bookshop, or maybe even find, her own bookish happily ever after in the process. Hello, dearies! This is Angela Bell, bringing you today's Bookworm Review. You can connect with me at my website, www.authorangelabell.com. Hope Between the Pages by Pepper D. Basham is a charming blend that combines strong notes of Anglophile with the papery aroma of Bibliophile and sweetens it to perfection with a hint of hopeless romantic. In this dual-time novel, Basham has created a pair of bookish heroines you'll love to root for, as they leave the safety of their respective libraries to write their own stories. I related to modern-day Clara's affinity for vintage style, and adored the whimsical courtship of letters between a Duartean couple, Sadie and Oliver. If you've ever wished the Hallmark Channel had produced Downton Abbey, this book is sure to be your cup of tea. So some of the giveaways that we have going on right now include Long Way Home by Lynn Austin, this giveaway ends on July 26th, and then we have another giveaway going on right now, which is uh, By Way of the Moonlight by Elizabeth Musser. This giveaway ends on July 31st. As for winners, Angela Baskill won a copy of the Hanger's Horseman series by Karen Whitemire. So Darcy, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, My
0: sister and I were thrift store shopping this morning because we love to look at old junk. And I actually went out to the horse farm where she volunteers this week. I was um, I had a couple hours, and we went out there in the morning, and it's just so beautiful because it's it's pastures with trees, and the air smells so good. I mean, I know it's a horse farm, it still smells good. And so um I got to help with like the feeding and um, you know, some of the tidying up around there. They don't do a whole lot of grooming, um, because it's actually a horse rescue. And so none of the horses are ridden and so they don't necessarily require rigorous grooming every day. But got to got to groom a couple of the horses a little bit. And they also have miniature horses, which are I don't know if you've like played with miniature horses much, but they're just so cute. Aww. Yeah, they yes some of some of the minis um are older, but they have two that are like less than five years old, and they say that they'll play tag on the fence all day long they'll just they'll chase each other back and forth they're they're so cute mm. so what have you been up to
2: <gasps> <laughs> well, I'm I've really just been working on writing and podcasty stuff a lot. I wish I could say that I'm just having so much fun this summer. And I am having fun, but I designed a cover for um, a novella that I've written that I'm going to be giving away to newsletter subscribers. So I did that yesterday, and yes, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> Um, And then I got to meet with Angela Bell, and she is an author who has just joined our bookworm review team. And so we recorded some of her first reviews, and I was just such a delight. But this coming week, I'm going to take the kids to the coast, and we are going to look at some lighthouses. So I'm really, really excited to do that. Now, the Pacific Coast, Darcy, is a little bit different than your coast down there it's in Florida. So if i bought on, like, a jacket and I'm, like, freezing, don't judge me. <laughs>
0: Well, I'll be out here in my shorts and a sun hat, you know, visiting my lighthouse.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Darcy. For rubbing it in.
0: (laughs) Well, I hope you have fun. You too. And lots of pictures, of course. Lots of pictures.
1: You've been listening to The Historical Bookworm Show, where
0: history meets fiction. For more information, find us at historicalbookworm.com.